From the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly. I got to say, love the name Max. That's my my puppy dog's (laughs) name. Uh, Who have just recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. It actually makes learning pretty cool. Yeah. Now, I listened to this with my son, and it was so fun to listen to. I loved how modern it was with a cool ant that they really dug, and like they dealt with bullies. Uh, My son also enjoyed all the math involved. Like He thought it was really cool. Well, and I have to say, I love anything that brings learning and fun together for kids. I really, really wish that something like this was around for my teens when they were younger. We would have absolutely devoured this on our car trips. It would have been amazing. It's perfect for kids ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by my detailed co-host, Free Tucker. <laughs> hello, hello. You are. You're very detailed. Uh, on certain things. No, like, so if you don't know, Brie is the producer of the podcast, and she's the one who makes sure that all the files are there for the editor to edit. And then you go through the show notes, and you go through all the descriptions, and you write all those. So I would say that qualifies as detailed. Well, okay. When you put okay. it that way, okay. <laughs> All right, then. I can be very detailed and very flighty at the same time, but luckily the podcast I take very seriously. Not to mention that whole anxiety I told you, like every day that it goes live. Oh, I, yeah. She listens to it. Yeah. I listen to it to make sure it's there. <laughs> I didn't forget a detail. I trust in Brie immensely because I don't listen to the podcast as much as I should. I'm just like, everything is there and Brie takes it from there. Well, I feel awesome. sorry for anybody on the East Coast, though, because like, mm-hmm. again, we're on the like, you know, Arizona, we're West Coast time and then Rocky at one point because we don't change time zones, which makes that so much fun trying to like figure out the conversions on a regular basis. But my oh, point yeah. being is those lovely East Coasters, I'm like, hopefully it was working because I don't get up to like three hours after all of them. So. <laughs> Anyways, are, it is all good. Yes. So today we have an incredibly exciting guest. I know, we're, we're so excited. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think like as uh, fans of the parenting expert community, when we had this person like confirm, we were like, oh my gosh. I know. I know. It's uh, Tina Payne Bryson. You may have heard her a few little, little numbers she's written before. Perhaps the whole brain child, which currently has one million copies. One million. One million With copies. With uh, her co-author, Dr. Daniel Siegel. And then also the Yes Brain. The Yes Brain. The No Drama Discipline. Mm-hmm. And then she has two new ones. The Power of Showing Up. And then one that is just Tina co-authoring alone, The Bottom Line for Baby, which, oh my gosh, I mentioned in this interview how I so wish I would have had this book when my kids were babies because I agonized over every decision. And this book kind of lays out the science and the research behind decisions so that you could see like both sides. And then she gives you a bottom line. And sometimes she's like, science isn't clear on this one. Use your best judgment. Or she's like, the science says this. So, And I think that's huge because Mm -hmm. there are so many things out there right now that, I mean, just in the day and age that we live in, you can Google search anything and find something pro or con against what you're going for. But it's really helpful to have somebody that can go through and find the what 
is actual like scientific research mm-hmm. versus, you know, perhaps some research that might be debunked at another time. Like yes. I remember because when my kids were little and your kids were little, we were uh-huh. going through the whole thing with the immunizations and there was that little. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I was in a, I took Bradley classes. And for <laughs> those people who don't know what Bradley classes are, they're billed as husband supported childbirth where you and your partner go together. And then the husband or the partner is a coach through the whole childbirth process. We should do a whole thing on that because it was amazing having my husband totally aware of what was going on in the hospital as well as me. He was able to advocate for me in ways I was not able to. But you um, were a little busy, you know. I was a little busy having a baby. (laughs) But in that, it's a very, it promotes natural birth. Mm -hmm. And so in the natural birthing community, there is kind of a, oh, against like vaccines and putting chemicals in your body and medical interventions and all that sort of stuff. So there were some people in our group who were saying, oh, I don't want to follow the vaccine schedule because I just think it's too much for a child to have at Mm -hmm. one time. And at that time, I knew like it's easy to get swayed when all the people you're hanging out with all the time are saying that one thing. Mm -hmm. And we did not deviate from the vaccination schedule. But having a book like that would have really helped. (laughs) Right. To be like, oh, there's the science again about the vaccines and But there's, yeah, and there's so many things with the babies, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, if you think about it, and I could go on with this, we Mm -hmm. should have a whole other podcast about the dilemmas of being a mom to a newborn, because there's so many different things, but like baby led weaning and... And she goes into all mm -hmm. of it in her book. So if you are a mom of a newborn, or you are a pregnant mom, or... You're a pregnant dad. No. <laughs> if expecting <you're, laughs> dad. If you're an expecting dad, please, please, please go and pick up Tina Payne Bryson's newest book, The Bottom Line for Baby. And okay, let's give them a little more introduction about uh, Dr. Tina Payne Bryson if okay. uh, they don't know her. So she is the author of Bottom Line for Baby and co-author with Dan Siegel, as we mentioned, of two, two New York Times bestsellers, The Whole Brain Child and No Drama Discipline, each of which has been translated into over 50 languages. Oh my goodness. I mean, these books are huge, as well as the Yes Brain and the Power of Showing Up. She is the founder and executive director of the Center for Connection, a multidisciplinary clinical practice in Southern California. And we talk about SoCal a little here. Mm -hmm. Dr. Bryson keynotes conferences and conducts workshops for parents, educators, and clinicians all over the world. And she frequently consults with schools, businesses, and other organizations. An LCSW, which stands for Licensed Clinical Social Worker, Tina is a graduate of Baylor with a PhD from USC. The most important part of her bio, though, she says, is that she's a mom to her three boys. Yes, which we talk about quite a bit in the podcast. Yes. Yes, because that's, I mean, it, there's one thing, and I think you and I both talked about that. Mm-hmm. Like when you work in the field of social work, education, teaching, anything like that, you feel like you've got this whole parenting thing down. You mm-hmm. know what you're supposed to be doing, but you know what? When you're in the grips of it, whew, whole it's different. Hard. Yeah. It's it's a lot harder than you think. So I always feel like I can get a lot more out of people that are like, okay, this is what the research says. And this is what it looks like when I'm actually able trying to follow it and do it. So, so. we hope you enjoy our conversation with Dr. Tina Payne Bryson. So this episode is brought to you by the Sip Journal. It's on pre-sale right now. Uh, And it is the one system that teaches siblings how to identify their emotions and then how to communicate those emotions to others, starting with that close sibling relationship. 
We talk about shame in the Civ Journal. Oh my gosh, how much does shame factor into kids' lives? Oh, so much. Is so them feeling much. like they're once they make a mistake that it's all downhill from there, they can't come back from it? No. And then no. if you're listening right now and you're dealing with statements like, I'm a horrible person or I'm a bad person, and your right. heart just breaks when your kid says that, the Civ Journal is going to address that with them. Like this is a system that looks at the whole spectrum of communication, which starts with the kids themselves. Right. So not only, so what do they get with this system? What does the system entail? So they get the Sib journals shipped to them, which are like colorful, like, oh my gosh, the pages in these are gorgeous. And there's fun kid activities like crosswords and secret codes for them to do as well. So they and get, Mad Libs, my son's Mad favorite. Libs, mm-hmm. You get two of those shipped to your door with the Sib journal system. And you also get the video component. So if you've ever got a book and your kids have been like, I don't know what I do. Or like, or you're like, I don't know what or to you do. Don't, with I don't know what you do. I have a video for every single section that preps kids up, that like makes them excited for what they're going to learn, and then explains it for them. Like the videos are so fun; they're short, and they really motivate kids to do it. It's and, very interactive. And we have how you can support them as well in the video component as well. Yes. parent training yes. section. Mm-hmm. So that is the Sib Journal system. Make sure to take a look at it in the link in our bio. And oh my gosh, you only have one more day if you're listening to this episode when it airs to enter our Sib Journal system giveaway. Ooh, tell me more. And you can do that by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. So all you do is you scroll down, click leave a review, give us your our star rating, five stars for good karma. We hope we earn that from you. And a short two-sentence review. Then when you're done, screenshot it and go to noguiltmom.com slash review, submit it there, and you're entered to win. Woohoo! You can't beat that. Yeah. That's perfect. So the Sib Journal system, check out our link in the show notes, and let's get on with the show. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. Hi, Tina. We are so, so happy to have you here on the No Guilt Mom podcast. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. And like so many of your books, like we have been the biggest fans of, I've written about many of the topics you cover on the blog, No Guilt Mom. And we're just so excited to dig in. Like we've been excited all weekend. I have to be honest. Like, yeah, we we took a big chunk of time the other day. Just like, oh my goodness, there's so many things to talk about. We had to get it all down half an hour. So (laughs) yeah, pretty exciting. So for those who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? I'm a mom to three boys who are now 20, 17, and 14. And the youngest, my baby, is at least half a foot taller than me and still like pats me on the head to ask if he can have ice cream and things like that. So I'm definitely in the teenage years. And, you know, one thing funny, and then I'll tell more about my other stuff, is, you know, when they are teenagers, they go back to the newborn feeding schedule. They go back to oh, eating yeah. like every two to three hours. They it's do. insane. I am yeah. scared about that because my son's seven and I feel 
feel like he's already on the newborn yeah. feeding schedule. So oh I have fear. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. It's a whole other piece of parenting because there's so much time revolving around food. Anyway, <laughs> I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I have a doctorate in social work too, but my field is actually called interpersonal neurobiology. And that's really just looking at how the mind and the brain and relationships all interact to shape who we are. And the majority of my professional life is spent writing books and speaking. And then I also founded an interdisciplinary clinic called the Center for Connection because one of my big things is about how we as a culture, we're so focused on kids' behaviors. So when kids have behavioral problems, we try to make the behaviors go away without really peeling the layers back typically to see what is the source of what's going on. And so I felt like, you know, when kids get referred for mental health services, we can ask good mental health questions, but when I have an interdisciplinary team, like an occupational therapist and an educational therapist and a neuropsychologist and a speech and language pathologist, we can ask better questions that really kind of can peel the layers back. What seems like a mental health issue might actually be better addressed by an occupational therapist, et cetera. So it's really fun to have an interdisciplinary team to work with kids, with adults, to really you know, support optimal development by really understanding that kids do well when they can. That's a Ross Green idea that I absolutely believe. And so when kids are struggling, we want to say what's getting in the way of this kid thriving and then let's address that instead of just thinking about punishment or behavior extinction. So I'm really proud of my clinical practice as well. That's amazing. Like my background is in early childhood and special needs as well. And I just, I love the interdisciplinary team because I feel like there are so many, like you just said, so many pieces. A lot Mm. of times it can seem like a child has really high anxiety, but if it's a sensory processing issue that we just kind of need to get that under control and everybody to understand what the child needs because they don't even know necessarily what they need. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, amazing. you know, and just this happens in schools all the time too, where kids will get punished for something the child cannot actually help. And it's understood as like a, a characterological issue. Oh, he's lazy or she doesn't care, or she's just trying to get attention. We're just completely missing. And so basically what ends up happening is we end up punishing a kid when the kid actually needs help and support and accommodation. So I think we're way off the mark with a lot of kids, the most vulnerable kids. So that's why I feel really passionate about that work as well as, you know, everything I write about circles around those ideas as well. I love what you said about kids do well when they can. When I was a fifth grade teacher, I saw that a lot, how those kids who were really struggling were being labeled that, you know, they were lazy or they just didn't care about school or they didn't respect adults. Right. And you just look at those situations and you're like, oh my gosh, they just need like some extra support. And totally, they need to learn some skills that they don't have yet. And we need to find out what those skills are. You know, one of my big messages that Dan and I wrote about in No Drama Discipline is that behavior is always communication. It's not a revolutionary idea, but I think when we think about it in the through the lens of discipline, it is pretty revolutionary in that, like at the school where I've done some consultation, you know, one year we had a little first grade boy who kept using really like inappropriate language. Like in, you know, one day in the library, he started using the word butt crack. He kept saying butt crack, (laughs) butt crack. And, you know, when we think about behaviors, communication, and we really become curious as our first step about what's going on, what's happening for this kid. He was basically saying, 
I need help finding appropriate ways to engage with my peers. I mean, he was actually a kid who really struggled joining in play with his friends. And when he said butt crack, he was super successful. It worked. He was able to join. So a lot of times behavioral problems, and I'm using air quotes as I say problems, are really the child's best adaptation to a skill they don't yet have. And so for me, instead of like throwing a punishment at him, what I need, instead of doing something to him, what I needed to do was do something for him. And that was to help him build skills to engage appropriately with his peers. So I think it's a pretty dramatic way to think about it. When our kids are refusing to do things, when they're oppositional, when they're defiant, when they're disrespectful, those are all opportunities to be curious and figure out what skills that need to be built. I like that the behavior is a form of communication because I know as parents, we get really riled up when our kids, maybe they have like a huge tantrum right in the middle of something where something Mm -hmm. that we don't see is a big deal. Say like they take a granola bar out of the wrapper and it's broken in half and now they can't use it. Like that's actually something else that they're trying to communicate to us. Yeah. And we have to be kind of detectives. Yeah. And it seems ridiculous to us often in the moment. And I'm not saying every moment where my kids have you know, behaviors that I don't like that. I'm like, oh, what a wonderful opportunity to integrate their brain. You know, it's typically not in the moment. In the moment, I'm like, like it, you know, yeah. And I'm like, just eat the damn bar, you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh, um, so you're like every it. other mom Get out there, there, right? Yeah, every exactly. Other parent. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, then if I don't handle it well, I always want to make a repair. But right. usually with like within a few hours or the next day, I go, oh, he told me something. He was like, hey, mom, I need skill building around things not going my way and handling disappointment. Or I need mm-hmm. skill building when it comes to managing my frustration, you know, or to be more flexible when, so then I can think, okay, now what specifically can I do knowing that the brain changes from repeated experiences? Mm -hmm. What kind, just like I lift weights to build muscle, I do reps, right? What kind of reps does this kid need? to practice dealing with frustration with enough support so that it's tolerable for him. So I guess one of the ways, what I love to do in parenting workshops is ask them to take a piece of paper and write down discipline problems. That's the name of the list. Then I ask them to list three discipline problems that are frustrating them, that drive them crazy, that they're worried about, whatever. And then Mm -hmm. I ask them to cross out the title of the list. So the list no more says discipline problems. The list is called skills my child needs to build. It's the same behaviors, but it's really Mm -hmm. a total shift in how we think about it and how our job as disciplinarians is to be teachers and skill builders. That's really the root of the word anyway, is to teach. Right. Yeah. And it's taking it from the short term, what's right now to what can I do in the long term for my child? I love Absolutely. that. Love it. And it also just kind of shifts your thinking from like seeing that, oh, if they're not problems, then like punishment doesn't solve these. Right. Right. If the whole goal, the whole, here we are, we're talking, we're not even talking about the book we're supposed to be talking about, but it's, <laughs> it's okay. It all, it all <laughs> fits together. a lot. It, it happens a lot. lot. <laughs> Hey all, it is Joanne and Brie here and we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. 
And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bri, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like streetcar tracks, and my bike's tire, like, went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just, like, skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And (laughs) active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code NOGUILT. But what if you really think about what is the long-term goal and purpose of discipline, almost universally, it comes down to the child being a self-disciplined person. So to me, that means two things. It means, number one, if I'm being an effective disciplinarian, by that I mean teacher and skill builder, then I'm actually disciplining less over time because as my child's development unfolds, they already, they're having those skills because we've been working on them. So I'm disciplining less, okay? So that's great. The second thing it means is that in the moment, I need to ask, am I ready to teach? And if I'm mad, if I'm reactive, the answer is no, it's not the time. And is my child ready to learn? And if your child is in a reactive tantrum, you know, downstairs tantrum kind of thing where they flip their lid and they're not rational, no, their brain is not ready to learn. And so you connect and you help soothe them and you get them back into a state where their brain is not reactive and rather it's receptive. And then the focus of the conversation and how you handle the discipline moment is always with teaching and scale building in mind. And so I often ask, like, think 
about things we often do in the name of discipline, right? And how most of those are actually counterproductive because they make it less likely the child's going to learn anything. And I started out with timeouts with my firstborn, but with my secondborn, and my firstborn was an introvert and he loved timeouts. He would like walk up and hit me to just go put himself in timeout because he <laughs> liked like, being by himself. I'm like, wait, this isn't working. There's but a way s- more productive way to do this. Son. Exactly. <laughs> but my secondborn was, would not stay. And so then I'd be like, you have to stay here. And then he wouldn't. And then I would hold him down. And then it would just, at the end, neither one of us knew what it was all about. And I was like, this isn't teaching him anything. This is so stupid. And so it really made me shift and say, okay, what can I do instead? Oh, well, if I want him to, you know, be respectful when he talks to me or to, you know, be kind to his brother, we need to practice how to do that. So that's what we're going to do in the discipline moment is do a do-over and practice the right, you know, the right way to do it or something along those lines. That's awesome. So like shifting a little gears a little bit, I mean, enable to be really there for your kids and being able to discipline in a way that teaches your kids, it's important to have connection with your kids. So in your book, The Power of Showing Up, you talk about these four S's. Can you give us a rundown of the four S's that parents can kind of keep in mind? Yeah, here's a little secret that not very many people know. The Power of Showing Up book, the main summary of the idea in that book was actually originally in the conclusion of The Whole Brain Child. Oh, and our editor was like, you need to pull that out. And that needs to be a whole separate book because it's so powerful. And what you've already done in this book is really important. And I don't want to distract from it. But the main message of the power of showing up that leads us to the four S's is that over 50 years of cross-cultural research tells us that one of the best predictors for how well kids turn out on everything they're measured on, and this is longitudinal studies, is that they have what's called secure attachment with at least one person. Now, to be really clear, what I'm talking about is attachment science originally based on John Bowlby's theory, but has had a lot of science to follow it up. And I'm not talking about attachment parenting. Because even if you do all the attachment parenting behaviors, you may not have a child that's securely attached to you. And if you do none of the attachment parenting approach, you can still have children who are beautifully securely attached to you. So I'm not talking about attachment parenting. I'm talking about attachment science that explains even what mammals do. So it's not a parenting approach as much as it is a biological instinct. What secure attachment is, is a biological instinct that when you have a need, you seek connection with your attachment figure. And when secure attachment happens, your secure attachment figure sees and responds to your needs quickly and sensitively. So that's what, and you don't have to do it perfectly, but the main idea is that, you know, we all grew up with different kinds of attachment wiring based on our relational experiences. And the most exciting, hopeful news about all of this is in order to provide our kids with secure attachment, the best predictor for us being able to do that is that we, not whether or not we had it with our own parents, thank God, because 40% of people (laughs) did not. It's rather whether or not you reflect on your own story and what happened to you and how your parents were there for you or not. And when you reflect on that, you can actually change your own brain so that you can provide secure attachment to your kids. So how do we provide this most important thing we can give our kids? One, we do our own work and we reflect on our own story and our own, you know, our own triggers and all of those kinds of things. And number two, we quickly and sensitively respond to our children's needs. And so Dan and I came up with the four S's to help parents remember this. The first is safe. And safe is, yes, of course, about keeping your kid safe from harm, but also about not being the source of our child's fear. And when we are unpredictable ourselves and we yell or we fight with the child's other parent, 
in a way that's not respectful or that might be frightening to our child or those kinds of things, we go and we make a repair with our child. And we say, you know, I'm so sorry I handled it that way. We have a story in my family called the Yahtzee incident. And it was a time when we were playing a board game and I got so frustrated, I threw the dice across the room. And so after the Yahtzee incident, you know, I told the boys, I was like, I'm so sorry that I did that. I'm, that must've been scary for you when I yelled and I threw the dice and I really wish I'd handled that differently. Will you forgive me? You know, and then I asked for a do-over and we could start playing again. That's how we make a repair. Yeah. I love that idea of repairs too, because it makes you like, you know, you don't have to be perfect. No. And if you do make a mistake, you just go and repair it with your child. And it's really when we're unpredictable in the moment with our own behavior or reactivity, if we always repair with our kids, even the unpredictable times are something that they know are going to be predictably repaired. Right. And it also widens our child's window of tolerance or what builds their resilience regarding conflict and relationships. So they're like, okay, relationships can be messy and we can have conflict, but then things get okay again. So, you know, it, it really helps. It is part of resilience building for them. So safe is really the most important one. We really need our children to know that we are a safe harbor for them, that no matter what storm is happening, we will keep them safe. The second S is seen. This one's hard to do because it means looking at the mind behind the behavior. So we're not just looking at the behavior like the broken granola bar, you know, and we're like, why are you fussing about that? It's not that big of a deal. Just go get another one. Okay. So what we would do instead is like, oh, that's so disappointing. Are you feeling disappointed that it's broken? You really you really wanted it to stay together. Now you might seem, that might seem silly as I'm saying that, but the goal of it is so that our child's internal experience and the way we respond are a match. So if we dismiss them in the moment, we're like, that's so silly. Why are you making such a big deal about that? And it's, you know, if we do that from time to time, it's not that big of a deal. But most of the time, if we can't, you know, if we say it's not that big of a deal, then our child is not only, is like, okay, not only does she not get me, but I'm alone in this feeling. Like she's not going to help me. I'm by myself, you know, whatever. So the goal is for our child to feel like she gets me, she knows me. And eventually over time, that leads to a kid who's like, my parents understood who I was and loved me for who I was, not who they wanted me to be. So that's kind of the long-term goal of seeing. Yeah. I've used that strategy that I took from your work. And I've found that when I do that with my son, he calms down a little bit. As soon as I'm able to name the emotion that he's feeling and I recognize it, he might even open up more and he's like, I had a really bad day. He's like, you get it. You get it. You get me. Well, and there's some science behind that too. That's strategy number two in the whole brain child, um, name it to tame it, which really there's a bunch of science that says when we accurately name emotions, it actually calms down the reactivity of the right hemisphere of the brain and allows us to access more language and logic on the left and makes our brains more integrated. So that one's seen. The third one is soothed and soothed is about comforting, nurturing, supporting, helping. And this is, you know, if you think about when your child is physically hurt, typically soothing comes pretty naturally. We're like, oh, come here. And, you know, we try to make it better. We get them a little snack. We, you know, blow on their knee when it's stinging. Like we really show up in that moment in that way. But when it's emotional pain and it manifests particularly behaviorally, it's much harder to do that. But this is really about our child's 
being able to kind of, again, come into that kind of safe harbor. One of my favorite stories to represent Safe Seen and Soothed, but before I tell it to you, I want to say, I want to be really clear when I talk about Soothed, Seen and Soothed, that this is not a permissive approach to parenting. This is not about letting your kids do whatever they want. It's not about not having boundaries. In fact, boundaries and expectations that are clearly communicated to our children help them feel safer. So you can say no to a behavior while saying yes to your child's emotions and their experience. So my story will give an example of this. So my little guy, JP, was having a massive meltdown in the bathtub. It had to do with a particular Lego guy. It's not worth going into the whole story because you you know the, you know how it went. We all it happened had it. We've all, all had all it. the houses. Exactly. You know, yes. and it, none of the other Lego guys, you know, did the trick. It had to be the one Lego guy that we couldn't find. You know how it is. So I say, JP, it's time to get out of the tub. And he's like, I'm not getting out. He's probably four or five. I'm not getting out. And this is not even a bathtub. So you can't even make me get out. You know, like he's just coming up with all this stuff. So I say, it's time to get out. You can either get out by yourself or as gently as I can, which I'm telling myself, I will help you out of the tub. So he says, I'm not getting out. So as I reach under his slippery little pits and I pull him out of the tub, so I'm holding my boundary, I'm being predictable, that's safe. Scene, I say to him, as I'm pulling him out, you're so mad that bath time is over. You're just so frustrated and you were having a good time in the bath. Trying not to talk too much, but still really naming what I'm imagining his internal world. I might be wrong. Or I might say, is that right? And if he says, no, I'm disappointed. I'll say, oh, so you're feeling really disappointed. So I say, you're so mad bath time's over. You were really having a good time as I'm lifting him out. Now comes soothed. I wrap the towel around him. Soothing can be physical as much, you know, it can be hugging, but it can also be emotional. So I wrap the towel around him and I say, if you need to cry for a little while, while you're upset about this, I'm right here with you while you cry. So I'm still holding my boundary. I'm not saying, fine, you can stay in the bathtub. I'm not throwing threats out. You know, I can just really be present in the moment. And I think that's so incredibly liberating as a parent. And I wish I had learned this earlier, but once I learned that when my child was raging or tantruming or whining or whatever was going on, being oppositional, I didn't have to do anything but be present. I didn't have to fix it. I didn't have to change my boundary. I didn't have to come up with a solution. I mean, we spend so much emotional and mental energy trying to help make it okay. And the only thing the science tells us we need to do is to be present, to show up in that moment, to say, this is so hard. You're feeling disappointed. I'm right here with you. And what that does is it gives our child the message, I can handle your big feelings. You can handle your big feelings. And what it does is it builds resilience because the way we learn resilience is by dealing with hard, difficult things and feelings. So please don't overprotect your children. Yeah. Please don't. It's, Talk it about makes that children a lot. fragile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah, makes children it fragile. Does. So, so letting them feel their big feelings, letting them deal with difficult feelings and difficult situations with enough support so that they come out of it and they go, God, that felt really terrible to feel that disappointed. And I made it through that. And my mom can handle it and I can handle it. And I hate the idea when we talk about soothing, I actually don't think we should ever talk about babies self-soothing. It's actually kind of antithetical to how attachment's supposed to work, and it's antithetical to how the immature nervous system is set up. The way our kids learn to self-soothe is by having many, many repetitions and many, many experiences over time where they feel safe, 
seen and soothed, not perfectly, but when our kids have enough experiences of feeling safe, seen and soothed, and we show up for them in that way, they develop the fourth S, which is secure attachment. And what that means is not just that they feel good about themselves or, you know, that it feels nice to have a nice relationship, but it's actually that their brains have been wired to know that if they have a need, someone's going to see it and show up for them. And then even better, they learn how to show up for themselves. So they learn how to keep themselves safe and how to see and understand themselves, how to soothe themselves. And it takes a long time for that to happen. And then eventually they can show up for their friends and their future mates and their future children. So it's really, really powerful stuff. Which I think like being secure, that is what we all want for our kids. We right. want them to be that capable adult who knows their own feelings. And there's so much in what you said that like, I absolutely think like more parents need to hear because we get such anxiety as moms that we're doing the right thing at the right time right. or if we're going to ruin our kids. And you're saying that we just need to be there for them. Yep. We don't have to fix their emotions. And I love that. And I want to go back and to what you said before the four S's. Yeah. You said that before you do this, you kind of have to do your own work. So when you're an adult and you don't feel like you're secure with your emotions, like how do you, what's your first step in doing your own work to be that way so you can show up for your kid? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, there are lots of times as a clinician and as a parent and as a wife that I might not know the exact thing to do or say in the moment, but the four S's is always my North star. It is always the right answer. Not only does it help like in the situation, things get better quickly, but it also wires our children's brains in the most optimal way. So I know that, you know, even if it doesn't work in the moment, I'm doing something good. Now, so it's a simple idea. So I've got this North Star. This is my simple idea. This is what I always hang on to in the moment, but it's not always easy to do. And a big reason it's not easy to do is because the brain is either in a reactive state or it's in this receptive, open, ready to show up state. And so what I need to do are two things. One is I need to take care of myself so that I have the capacity to show up for my kids. And that means I need people to show up for me. I need people who help me feel the four S's and I need to show up for myself. So if I'm not getting enough sleep, if I'm not getting exercise, if I'm not doing something fun with friends, if I'm not getting some of that, my window of tolerance is much smaller and it's going to be much harder for me to show up for my kids. I'm going to be more impatient. I'm going to be annoyed more easily. It's not going to be easy to be present. I'm going to be like, just eat the damn granola bar, whatever, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But the other thing is to do, so that's like, you know, in the moment, kind of taking care of ourselves consistently. But the other thing is to really do our own work. Now, what I mean by that is, you know, depending on what kind of childhood you have, you know, it might be really helpful to do therapy. In the power of showing up at the end of each chapter, Dan and I have some questions for self-reflection. So you could just journal or look at those and ask yourself, do some just you know, read it, go for a walk, think about those questions. And it's asking like, how did your parents help you feel safe? In what ways did they not show up for you in terms of safety? You know, asking some of those questions. Um, could be just talking about it with friends. You know, those are ways we can do that. But in the moment too, part of doing our work, it's an ongoing thing. It's not like you just go to therapy once and you check it and now you've done your work. It's an ongoing process of self-reflection and awareness. And so for me, especially when I act as a parent in a way that doesn't feel good to me or that surprises me or doesn't feel good to my child, I need to first not go to shame spiral, but to go to curiosity and to say, what was that about for me? And sometimes the answer is really like, 
I'm acting this way as a parent because I haven't peed by myself in six weeks and I'm starving and the dog threw up and I didn't get any sleep and I just don't have patience today. And that's totally okay. So that's what that moment was about for me. But other times it might be about something else. I'm like, like if I act a certain way and I go, you know what, each time my child rejects me, I take that really personally. I wonder what that's about. And to say, I I think I need to do some reflection on that and what that theme of rejection might mean for me, given my history with my parents. And once we shine the light of awareness on that, we begin to have choice and we begin to be able to make changes. So it's an ongoing opportunity for us when we have those ruptures to be curious and to say, what got in the way for me to parent the way I wanted to parent? And what's that about? And that can be a really important part of doing our work too. And like you said, to be curious without going down the shame spiral, because that's an easy spiral to fall into. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. It is. And you know, actually when we sit in shame, there's actually a whole physiological change that happens in our whole visceral system. And it's an actual physiological state that makes us less receptive. So when we sit in shame, it actually makes it less likely we're able to continue to show up for our kids. Like it's, wow. it's a self-fulfilling kind of thing. So we need to be gracious with ourselves and forgive ourselves and move on. I totally agree. And you just also wrote a new book. I did. Tell us about your new book and tell us the reasons behind why you wrote it. Because honestly, I saw this book and I'm like, man, I wish this was around when my kids were babies. 
Yes. That's why I wrote it because it was the first book I longed for as a new parent. I imagine that your listeners are similar to the three of us where we like information, right? So we want to read up on stuff and we want to get advice from people. We want to be really intentional in our parenting decisions. And so I remember, you know, first of all, when I went this book, like the book, The Bottom Line for Baby, it should go with you to wherever you're birthing. Like, because you will meet, if you, if you have a hospital birth, you will have to make decisions. You don't even know you have to make on the fly, right? On the fly. Like they're like, you know, now they ask like, do you want your baby to have their first bath in the hospital or not? Like, you know, how would you know mm-hmm. you even had to make that decision? And yeah. what about the pacifier? You know, I kept asking the nurse in the hospital, like, is it okay if I give him the pacifier? Or is he going to have, I've heard about this thing called nipple confusion. Like if I give him a pacifier, will he not latch on? You know, I had all these questions. And so what I did was as a new parent, as I would read all of this stuff that I didn't know I had to make decisions about, so much of it was contradictory. And I was so frustrated Please. because I was like, now what? You know, totally you one friend yeah. who said, you have to do it this way or you'll regret it. And then you have another friend that's like, no, don't do it that way. That's awful. You know, and you're like, ah, what do I do? So this book is about 65 topics arranged alphabetically the things that you get the most competing information about. And there are some hot, juicy ones in there like vaccines and sleep training and co-sleeping and extended breastfeeding and breastfeeding while drinking alcohol. There's all kinds of things like that in there. It's not a how-to book. So don't plan to turn to the car seat section and have instruction manuals for how to install your car seat, right? It's a book that lays out. So each entry is here are the two main competing perspectives. Here's what the science says. So I reviewed all the current literature, quality studies, pulled out the crappy ones and gave a summary of what we know from the science. And then each section has a bottom line. So sometimes the bottom line is really clear, like there's no controversy here. You actually should use motheries or parentees. That's that sing-songy voice like, oh, did you see the doggy? All of the research is 100% clear that says this is so beneficial for babies. You should absolutely talk to them in that tone of voice. Oh, that's other t- interesting. Yeah, oh, yeah. Other, times, other times the science says, every parent worries about this, but you don't need to worry about it. It doesn't matter at all. Other times I say the science is not good. It shouldn't, it can't guide us here, but here are some questions to think about, things like that. You, right? And then in about a third of the sections, there's a section called a note from Tina because I worked really hard to objectively report the science But I wanted to weigh in on some of the entries, either with a funny story from a parenting moment, like the time I returned a baby item to a store that had dirty diapers still in it. Oh Oh, gosh. It was a really, I didn't, it was a, my husband and I got our wires crossed and we returned this diaper receptacle thing and it had dirty, oh my gosh, I'm still, sometimes I share you know, new mom exhaustion, you know, well, you do that. We all so have those moments, yeah. right? Oh my gosh. But also <laughs> like in the sleep training thing, I really wanted to weigh in on that and about how some of the other areas of research I think that are left out really should be considered as we're making this decision. So I'm really proud of the book because the main message in the book, well, first of all, it's very connected to what we just talked about is to say, So many of the things we worry about and so many of the things that we feel like are the most crucial decision that will impact whether our child, you know, goes to college versus lives in a van down by the river are not, there are very few of those. And the bottom line of the bottom line is the four S's. It's really about, that's what your kid needs most from you is you. Flawed, imperfect you, but that's what your kid needs most from you is you. But I also give a couple of important messages I think that I really want to get out to parents. And that is, There are many, many ways to be a great parent. 
regardless of how you make decisions about these things, you know, whether you do baby led weaning or not, whether or not you sleep train, like those things do not determine whether or not you're a good parent because every child is different. Every parent is different. Every family is different. And I really encourage moms and dads to trust themselves and to trust their babies and to know that they don't have to do things the way other people do them, you know, to really just trust themselves. I think that's such an important message. Yes, definitely. And like something like I would use your book for is during that whole phase, I did constantly doubt myself. And like, I would be talking with friends who had a different viewpoint and what they were saying. I was like, that kind of makes sense. That kind of makes sense. Oh my gosh. I would love having that resource to go to and be like, no, here's all the information right here. This is why I think this way. Yeah. And especially like your in-laws or your mom, you know, and, and I think too, I'm so, you know, I've read a lot of parenting books and there are a lot lot of like parenting approaches that mm-hmm. I find that when parents are really dogmatic and rigid about one particular parenting approach, it's mm-hmm. usually problematic. We should have lots of different tools and lots of different things. And our kids change over time. So even the same kid, we might need to shift gears. But yeah. I think that when people come really like judgmental and say, you know, I can't believe you're putting your kid in daycare, right? And we talk about that in the book too, or I can't believe you're sleep training, or I can't believe you're not sleep training, or whatever it is that people are being judgmental about. That's often about them and not really about you and your parenting. And I think it's really about them really feeling strongly about needing to defend their decision. So yes. we can really feel try to feel confident yeah. in our decisions. And especially if it's our, our own parent, if we do things differently than they did it, they might see it, feel it as a criticism of the way they did things. So, you know, one of the things we can say is, you know, I love that you love our baby so much and thank you for your advice. We're going to try it a different way. Or mom, you were such a good mom and now we've got some new information. So thank you for your input. I love that you love our baby and want to weigh in. And I'm not interested in having this conversation anymore. You know, you can set those boundaries too. It's just like connect and redirect with with our kids. We need to connect and redirect with with our own parents. parents. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. 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 So uh, you've given our listeners so many, many great takeaways. And these four S's are something that I think will just lower the anxiety in people and seeing that if they follow these safe scenes, soothed and secure, that's really what kids need. And the rest of the stuff isn't as important. So just in just showing our kids again, we talk about this a lot in our podcast that we can be imperfect. We can be it's imperfect. okay. We learn, we move forward. We're human, we can make mistakes. In fact, Brie, what I would say is if you look back on things that you did as a parent, whether it's an hour ago or a week ago or four years ago or whatever, and you feel bad about them, that's actually a really positive sign because it means there's some awareness and it means there's some evolution. You know, if I looked back at my middle school journal or diary and thought it was awesome and insightful, what would that say about how much development I've had since middle school, right? True. When I read it, when I read it, I'm mortified, but that means I've evolved. So I actually think like when as parents, we look back, like there are so many things I learned in the last decade that I wish I had known the first decade of parenting. And I go, oh, I wish, you know, I have a pang of regret a pang of sadness or a pang of guilt. But to me, that should actually be a moment to celebrate because it means I did the best I knew to do in that moment. Now I know something more. Now I'll do better in that area. But it's something to actually like really celebrate because it means we're evolving and changing and we're aware and insightful. Like those are all really good things. So when we have that pang to be like, good for me, I'm growing. That's awesome. 
Yes. I love that. That is a perfect thing to keep in well, mind. And that so, just completely validated the majority of my parenting. Yeah. Like on a regular basis, I come back in here, right? I'm money back. Oh, you won't believe what I did this yeah. weekend. Are you I, looking back? I can't believe I did that so long ago. And it's, yeah, yeah it's great to know that. All right. Yeah. We're yes. at least kind of growing. Where can people find you? My website is tinabryson.com. And right now I'm doing a lot more on Instagram than anywhere else. And my handle there is Tina Payne Bryson. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us. This has been an amazing conversation. Yes. Thank you. Thank you all. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks guys. Okay. We were super excited when we got off this interview. Oh, I know. I know. Tina was so much fun to talk to and so, so relatable. That was a huge factor there. Yeah. We were both a little starstruck preparing for the interview. And after the interview, I feel like she's like the friendliest person and so nice and so easy to talk to and relatable. I just love her. Yeah. I was very, very excited to hear a bit more about the center, the center for connection and the fact that they had the multidisciplinary practice out there. That's just something that there just aren't enough of Mm -hmm. things like that out here because a lot of times with behaviors, we're not sure what's causing them. And sometimes it's just, it's not necessarily a behavioral thing. It's more of a sensory integration issue. And that's a lot more complex than it sounds. It's not just like, Hey, cut the tags out of the back of your kid's shirt and they'll be fine. It's a whole holistic approach. Yes. Yeah. And in the interview, we talked a little bit about attachment. So like secure attachment and how it's completely different than attachment parenting, where I just wanted to define it for you. If you hadn't heard the term attachment parenting before, it was having your child basically attached to you as much as possible when they're a baby. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which is a concept that has a lot of Components like co-sleeping, mm-hmm. um, extended breastfeeding. Wearing them. Yes. Baby, yes, wearing. baby wearing. Yeah. And um, that's different from secure attachment, where secure attachment is really knowing that your parent or trusted adult is always going to be there for you, but also having the courage to like take little risks knowing that you have some place to fall back on. Right, right. And I 100% agree with her uh, bringing up the four S's of that secure attachment. Mm-hmm. So in her book, The Power of Showing Up, they talk about the four S's and the impact that that has on you with your child and how those things can help give your child the skills that they need and the ability to to power through any challenges that they face, any adverse you know experiences they'll have growing mm-hmm. up. The first one of those S's, the safety. safety. Mm-hmm. Yep. So feeling like they have somewhere that they can be in a safe place with their family. And not being the source of like fear. So like right. being consistent and managing your own emotions in terms of like yelling and screaming, and which is very, very hard for parents to do. And I know that is something that a lot of moms have told us they struggle with is the yelling. And it's one of those things that if you do it now, you know what? It's not going to damage your child, irreparable damage. It's something that could be repaired. So that's something to keep in mind. I don't want anyone to feel guilt or shame for losing their cool. It happens. The most important thing to do is that we go back and repair the relationship when it happens. Exactly. And then her second S was seen. Mm -hmm. Having that inner life identified by parents. So really paying attention and making sure you know when they're sad or when they're mad or when something upsets them. Yeah, being able to see what their stress signals are and how you can help address it. And the thing too about being seen is that, well, that leads us into the next one, which is soothe. Mm -hmm. And what I I guess what I was actually trying to do with soothe was that that talks about sensing your children's distress and how to help calm them down. Mm -hmm. You may have two kids, like I have two kids that are only a year apart 
but yet my children take their soothing in com- two completely different ways. Yeah. So like when I'm trying to help support them or to give them the space that they need, they need it in two completely different ways. How about your kids? Are they different? Um, yeah, they're different. Both of them like cuddles. They yeah. really like the cuddling. And I know my daughter can usually take cuddling right away and my son needs some time to cool down. But then he's good at asking for it when he needs he's it. He's good at asking for yeah. it. Yeah. And then if you have those three S's, safety, scene, and soothe, then your child will develop secure attachment. Yes. And that's where they have enough repeated experiences with you where they feel like they know that they're safe, they're seen, they're soothed, mm-hmm. and then they'll know and they'll feel secure yeah. in their relationship. So if you really enjoyed our interview with Tina Payne Bryson, you will so enjoy this new masterclass that is going on. It's called Parenting in Place Masterclass. It starts November 17th, but if you are listening to this after that date, you can still sign up and it goes to January 19th. They are live masterclasses with these parenting experts and Tina is one of of those experts in the masterclass. Yes, we were so excited when they were telling us about this project. We're like, oh my goodness, I can't wait. So we have a link in the show notes for you to check out the Parenting in Place Masterclass. It is so affordable and you have access to all of the classes afterwards too. So you don't have to listen live. Yep, because we know we're in busy, busy life. I think Tina yeah. was saying they had done one over the summer and she would listen to her classes while cooking dinner. Yeah. Mm. Which I've started doing because somebody has brought me into this whole like <laughs> podcast world, online podcast. classes, audible books, like all the learning all the yes. time. I now have my Amazon Alexa in the I'm kitchen. I'm so happy. <laughs> if I could get more people to be lifelong learners, I think my machine in life could be complete. <laughs> I think you're doing a good job. I think we're going in that general direction. I don't know what you guys tell us what you think about this. But So yeah. as we leave you, remember the best mom's a happy mom. Take care of you. We'll see you next time. Thanks for stopping by. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.